Morena Church, it's great to be with you and to be able to continue our series in Psalm 23. I come from a very competitive family, so when I was young, my grandparents challenged my brother and I to memorize Psalm 23, Psalm 19, and the books of the Bible, and the prize was a Bible. And I look back and I think, well, I already had a Bible. So why was I motivated by that reward? It was the sheer competition of proving that I could do it. The problem was that I became really familiar with Psalm 23 and growing up as a pastor's kid and attending funerals that my dad would take, Psalm 23 was always the reading. And I began to think of it as a funeral psalm. And I'm so thrilled that we are taking the time to go through it verse by verse because it is incredibly rich. It is connected to passages in the New Testament, to prophecy in the Old, but more than that, it's not a funeral psalm, it's a psalm for every season. So I just want to read it to us, and then we're going to get into today's message of walk, don't run. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters, He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that it is alive, that it is truth, and we pray that you would speak to us through it today. Father, prepare our hearts, soften them, speak to them, redirect us, and keep us with our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. We ask these things in your name. Amen. I want you to raise your hand if you've ever been in a car and somebody, usually a child, maybe you were the child, has said, are we there yet? Most of us. I have one child who took it a step further and began to ask, how many minutes till we are there? And they would keep a really good track of how many minutes we had said. And if we did say the same number again because we'd been delayed, whew, did we hear about it? So we began to give ourselves a really generous time allowance from the beginning that this question started to be asked. But I think we've all felt that in life, haven't we? Like that, are we there yet? When is this gonna be over? When do I get to move on to the next thing? Maybe when is it gonna be my turn? And there's this impatience in us to arrive. You know, I have learned that as much as I wish he might be, God is never in a hurry. He is patient to accomplish his plans and his purposes. But we can struggle with that, and we wanna speed it up. And he says, you don't just have to follow where I lead, you have to go at the same pace as me. We have to keep in step with our Lord and with our shepherd. 
And one of the things I've come to understand is not only is he not in a hurry, he has an intentional pace, a pace that I like to call the pace of shalom. He leads us in such a way that there is time for rest and for refreshing. There is time for peace and wholeness. There is time to be intimate with him and to be present to the people that are in our lives. He is not a harsh taskmaster. He doesn't drive us. You know, here in New Zealand, we tend to think of leading the sheep as we're coming from behind and the dogs are barking and they're almost like scaring them into getting where they need to go. That's not how God leads. That's not how the shepherds of the Middle East led they would go ahead. The sheep would recognize their voice. They had so much relationship with their sheep that their sheep would desire to follow them. And the pace that they went was usually about five kilometers an hour. I want you to think about how impatient you are in a 50K zone, how much you let it creep up a little bit. Five kilometers an hour. God is not in a hurry. He is not driving us. He has a pace, and that pace is not fast. I don't know about you. I'm happy to go at a leisurely pace when we're talking about the green pastures, when we're talking about the still waters. But I want us to reread our key verse for today, verse 4. Even though I walk... Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I don't run. I don't like running. You will never find me in the Auckland Marathon. I actually didn't know that that was on today when I titled this message. It was a prophetic declaration that you should all walk and not run. But I tell you what, there are times in life where I would like to run. You know, David says, I walk through the valleys. Isaiah said that he wouldn't fear when he walked through the fire and the floods. I'm sorry, but those are times that I don't want to walk. I want to run, and I want to run hard and fast and get to the other side. But God says, don't run, walk. One commentator says, walking is the pace at which you go when you are not in a hurry, when you are not concerned or alarmed, when you are not burdened or anxious, then you walk. He that believeth shall not make haste. And so today I want us to look at what is the truth that is going to enable us to walk and not run when we find ourselves in the valley. And the first thing I want us to do is to go back a verse and reread verse three. It says that God restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The NLT says that he leads me on right paths. And directly after David has declared that God leads me on right paths, he says he's in the valley. Do you know what that tells me? That as hard as it is to accept, that sometimes, even with all its pain, the valley is actually the right path. That sometimes the valley is where we are going to find that our souls are healed and restored. 
And sometimes the valley is where we are going to learn to best bring glory and honor to God's name. Joni Erickson Tadar, whose biography I read as a young girl growing up, she was paralyzed from the neck down in a diving accident in her late teens. And she has gone on to live a life that honors God and serves other people who find themselves with wheelchairs and other disabilities and unable to live the life that they thought they were going to. And she says this really powerful statement, sometimes God permits that which he hates to accomplish that which he loves. Sometimes God permits that which he hates to accomplish that which he loves. I want to say to you this morning, if you're in the valley, God takes no delight in your suffering or in your pain, but he does take delight in how you are being shaped how you are being conformed to his image and the purposes and the plans that he is outworking in your life. You see, the shepherds would deliberately go down to the valley, even though it was dangerous because predators lay in wait for the sheep, because it was where the water was. And because it was where the water was, it was where the soil was most rich and fertile, which also meant the best grass. The valleys don't have to be places of desolation. They can be places where we encounter living water. They can be places where we are fed on the most richest of soil and grass, where we can find treasure. Yes, there is an enemy who lies in wait trying to pick us off when we go through the valley. Jesus said it in John 10.10 10, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it in all its abundance. Jesus' heart for you and for I when we walk through the valleys of this world is that we might discover life, that we might discover treasures. My personal life verse is Isaiah 45.3, and it says, I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places, that you might know that I am the Lord your God who calls you by name. I've had to walk through some long, dark valleys in my 40-something years. But you know what? God has given me so much treasure there. I've reached a point where I wouldn't take those valleys back. He has given me the riches of going to dark places, to places that only he and I will ever fully know about. And in those places, he has revealed to me, Amy, I know you by name. Your pain, your suffering, your questions and confusion, they're not hidden from me. I see you, I see them, I am with you. But if we allow the valleys to become places of distrust, where we doubt the goodness and the faithfulness of God, we will become easy prey for the enemy. And he will get to steal, kill, and destroy in those seasons. But if we will stick close to our good shepherd, we can experience his life even in the darkest of valleys. And this is the thing I've learned. I don't always get to choose where I travel in this life. There are things that happen that are outside of my control, but I do get to choose how I travel. 
and how we travel through the valley, whether we walk in trust or we run and we just try and escape the lessons that God has for us there, the treasure that God has for us there, determines whether those seasons become a place and a time of blessing in our lives or of destruction. So we're going to unpack today, how can we walk? How can we discover the treasure of the valley? Why was David able to say that he was unafraid? And he had this awareness that God was with him. And this is the first truth that I want to give you. In the valley, God gives us the gift of presence, the gift of of himself. Pastor Mike mentioned some of these names that I'm about to read in the first message that we did in this series. Everything that God does for the sheep in the psalm relates to some name or attribute that he possesses. For example, when David declares, I have all that I need, God is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. When he says he leads me beside still, quiet waters, God is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. When he declares that God restores my soul, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. When he says you are with me, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Because the thing that I've learned is that the valleys have this way of highlighting who God is, of taking us from knowing something about God to personally living and experiencing him in that way. If you read Psalm 23 carefully, you'll note that there's a shift in tone. In the first three verses, David's talking about he, God does these things. But when he begins to talk about the valley, he gets personal. He says, you, You do these things for me. This is not theory for David. He has encountered God in a real and personal way. God's goodness has become his testimony. And I've found that the valleys have this beautiful way of shifting our focus off of our needs and our desires and onto the one who has the power to meet those needs. Psalm 23 verse 4 in the Passion Translation, which I just want to give a disclaimer, it's really a paraphrase and I think it's really important that we have a little bit of discernment when we're reading paraphrases, so that's just the teacher and me wanting to flag that for you. But it renders verse 4 in this way, it says, even when your path takes me through the valley of darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely for you are near. Fear will never conquer me for you already have. Because of how David had come to experience God firsthand 
And I just want to point out, he didn't write this psalm as a young shepherd. They think it was either when he had become king, which would have been in his 30s, or some commentators think maybe even nearer the end of his life. He is reflecting on a life of walking with God. He has been through hard times, and he knows that God is faithful in the valley. So God has become bigger to him than his circumstances. The valley was but shadows and God was the substance. Fear couldn't conquer him because God already had his heart. About a decade ago, we had been in a really long and hard valley and I was tired and I had begun to get really anxious. And we were heading into a new year and I was just like, Lord, I... I don't want to go into this year gripped by this fear anymore. I don't want to feel this anxious and panicky. And so I committed that year to focus on what God had to say about fear. Went to Bible Gateway, typed in the word fear, made myself a list in my journal of all the references and decided to focus on the New Testament and to just work through one at a time, what did that passage teach me about what God had to say about my fear? The thing that has stayed with me 10 years plus on is actually the meaning of the word fear. Because I came to understand that fear was like two sides of a coin. The Greek word used in the New Testament most often translated as fear or afraid is phobeo, which is where we get our word phobia. And the first side of the coin of fear is this. This is its first meaning, to put to flight by terrifying, to fear, to be afraid, to be struck with fear, to be seized with alarm. That's all the things that you would think of when you think about the word fear. But it was the other side that really convicted me. It can also mean to be struck with amazement, to reverence, to venerate. We don't use that word very often now, but it means to worship, to treat with deference or reverential obedience. And the word that David uses in the Hebrew and the Psalm for fear no evil is the same, it's not the same Greek word, but it has that same dual meaning. You can either be afraid or you can worship. And valleys offer us this choice. Will we fear our circumstances or will we revere God? And as I began to study this, I realized that every time I feel afraid, I have an opportunity to flip the coin and to choose worship. I have the power to make that choice. It is not about denying that what I'm going through is hard and painful and maybe actually really terrifying. But it's about saying, God, I believe the truth of who you are in the midst of these things that would seek to put me to flight. And so I'm not gonna run. I'm gonna keep walking with you because my eyes are on you, Jesus. And I choose worship, I choose reverence, I choose amazement at all that you are. I choose reverential obedience. David said in Psalm 16 verse eight, I have set the Lord always before me and because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. 
And I just want to offer you a couple of really practical questions. They're in your notes if you've got them. That when you feel like you're losing sight of God, when it feels like the valley is overwhelming you and you want to run, not walk, that can be really helpful to just take some time to stop and ask yourself, where is God for me right now? I've discovered when I pause and ask this, that sometimes I've put God in the future, sometimes I've left him behind in another season, and this is an opportunity to reorient on the truth that he's with me right now. And once I'm aware that he's here with me, the next question is, so what are you doing here, Lord? How can I partner with you in the purpose that you have for this season? Because God never wastes anything. And there's always an invitation to draw closer, to be shaped by him, to let him be the potter and the clay. So what are you doing here, Lord? How can I partner with you? And then finally, how is God being good to me in the midst of this? You know, I love that at the end of the Psalm, David declares, surely your goodness and your mercy, it follows me all the days of my life. He didn't just say, just when I'm at the table you've prepared, just when I've reached the mountaintop. No, David knew that even in the valley, God was still doing good, God was still being good. And sometimes we need to pause and ask God to open our eyes to the good things that he is doing for us and through us and around us. We need to choose to shift our focus and to stick close to the shepherd as we walk through the valley. And I just want to say this, sometimes we're in valleys that are so dark and so overwhelming, even that feels too hard. In those seasons, stick close to the sheep who stick close to the shepherd. That's why we're part of a family. There have been seasons where people have carried our family in prayer. And they have kept us close to the shepherd's heart because they have done the warfare for us. Stick close to the shepherd and stick close to the sheep that stick close to the shepherd. Because with the Lord as your shepherd, you don't need to cower and hide. You don't need to run or be alarmed. You have all that you need to walk your way through to the other side because he gives you all that he is. David also highlights, in addition to God giving him the gift of presence, the gift of himself, that there are two very specific attributes that God entrusts to us in the valley. He says, in the valley, God gives us the gift of his protection and of his comfort. And these are symbolized through his rod and his staff. So the rod was carved from solid oak and it actually had a rounded like knob on the top. And it was what the shepherds would use to defend the sheep. I kind of like to think of it as a long bommy knocker, you know, like the lion's coming, knock him out. And so it was their defensive weapon to protect the sheep that were under their care. They would also use it at times, not like a bommy knocker, but to discipline wayward sheep who'd gone way too far, like, come on, you've got to get back on track with us. 
And when the sheep would reach the table that had been prepared for them by the shepherds, they would use the rod to examine the sheep and to check where their individual wounds were so they knew where they needed to be anointed with healing oil. It was a symbol of strength and of power and of authority. And so David is reminding us when he says, your rod is with me, he's saying, God is with you. When you're in the valley, when you're vulnerable to attack, God is with you and he is mighty to save. And he's gonna help you fight the enemy that is trying to pick you off in this vulnerable time. He's able to defend you. And should you lose your way in the valley, he will do whatever it takes to bring you back into the flock. The staff, though, spoke of his comfort. The staff is what we typically think of with shepherds, you know, that kind of candy cane shaped rod. And they would use this to gently, like, just nudge the lambs back towards their mother. A sheep was just about to misstep and it didn't require discipline, it just needed like a gentle redirection. And it was also what they would put on the ground and hang their lantern on at night to illuminate the darkness. It's a beautiful, gentle picture of how God tends to us and cares for us and comforts us. And I love when David declares, the Lord is my shepherd, the word he used there, it had the connotation of shepherding and leadership, that authority that the rod represents, but it also had the connotation of friendship and companionship. And so we see in the rod and the staff that when God walks through the valley with us, he wants us to know his power and his might and his authority, but he also wants us to know his gentleness and his comfort for our hurting hearts. And he's given us two very real reminders of this rod and the staff. The rod represents his word. The word is our sword of truth. It is what we go to war against. It is our sword to fight the enemy. But it also examines our hearts. It corrects us when we go off track. It protects us within and without. It is God's power and his authority for every situation that we face. And it constantly points us to the living word, to Jesus. So as we walk through the valley, we have the authority and the truth of God's word. We also have the presence and the comfort of Holy Spirit. And John, Jesus said, I'm sending you another one. You're not gonna be alone. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm sending you my spirit who will be your comforter and your counselor who will lead and guide you into all truth. And so Holy Spirit comes in that gentleness alongside ensuring we never feel alone, ministering the truth and the hope of the love of God. And as I was praying about bringing this message, there was one thing that I really felt the Lord wanted to encourage us with. Because often when we walk through a valley that has nothing to do with us, you know, it's just the reality of living in a fallen world. And we know that we haven't sinned. It's, got, it's just life. Those times can be easier to reach out to God and to receive his comfort. 
But sometimes we walk through valleys that we know are a direct consequence of the decisions that we have made. And we feel like we don't deserve God's comfort and protection there. We feel like we've just got to suck it up. This is the fruit. And yeah, sometimes there are consequences that we have to live with. But I've learned while I have to live with consequences at times, I don't live with condemnation. And I just really believe today that if you find yourself in a valley of your own making, that Jesus is there with his shepherd's crook. And he's just saying, let me bring you close again. Let me draw you back into the flock. Let me provide all that you need. Let me do my work of restoration and healing. Let me give you treasure. In John 10, Jesus declares he's the good shepherd. He declares these things immediately after having healed a man on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders have gone to town about the fact that he healed somebody on the Sabbath. And they've hauled this man in who was blind from birth and they've questioned him and they've questioned his parents and they're not happy with his answers and they've thrown him out of the temple. And we're told that Jesus went and sought him out. That's our good shepherd. When people throw us out, when life knocks us down, he comes and he seeks us out. And he declares this about himself. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. He will go on to say, nobody makes me do this. I do it on my own accord. I do it willingly because I love my sheep. Jesus is not a hired hand. He's not afraid of your sin. He's not afraid of how the enemy is trying to attack and destroy your life and your family. He's the shepherd who stays. He's the shepherd who walks with us. He's the shepherd who goes before us and he's the shepherd who hems us in from behind. He has a wraparound presence in our lives. He doesn't want anything this morning to keep you from drawing on the comfort and the power and the authority that he has to enable you to walk through the valley. So I want to challenge you, how close to the shepherd are you walking today? Are you willing to go where he leads? And are you willing to go at the pace that he sets? Are you willing to trust that when a season is going on longer than you want it to, that he has your good at heart? and that he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. The sheep that stick close to the shepherd have all that they need. I just want to close by declaring the last verse of Psalm 23 over you. Whether you're in the valley today or on a mountaintop, this is true for you. Surely goodness and love will follow you all the days of your life 
and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, we wanna thank you for your incredible heart for each one of us. We thank you that you never leave us and you never forsake us. And Jesus, we thank you that even while we were still sinners, you lay down your life for us. That there is nothing we can do, have done, will do that stops you pursuing us. So we choose to draw near today to not let the enemy pick us off with shame and condemnation and lies about your goodness and lies about who we are. We thank you that you are the good shepherd and we are the sheep that you love. Empower us, Holy Spirit, to follow where the Father is leading and to keep in step with the pace that he is setting. In Jesus' name, amen.